I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design. Today, I'm speaking with Atlanta-based designer Andy Morse about balance, vibe, and having it all. Or <laughs> getting as close to it as one possibly can. Yeah, so Andy, born and raised in Atlanta. She's married to her college sweetheart and the mother of three daughters. Family comfort is the central influence to her interior design philosophy and one of the core values of Morse design. One's home must reflect the lifestyle of the occupants and resonate with both beauty and functionality. Her passion for creating comfort and style with a Southern elegance and grace drive her creative vision. Nothing makes Andy feel better than the happiness on a client's face at the end of a project. Okay, so that's in the bio. What isn't mentioned in the bio are the finer nuances in her approach to the work. There is a fun elegance to the work that appears to be evident in every space, regardless of size or color palette. Her approach is layered and collected. You will see an active pursuit of joy that is imbued in all of her projects. And that is one of the things I think I love most about her work. And I think you will too. And you're going to hear about Andy. Uh, we'll be right back with Andy right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me and you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a, a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce inspired by the brilliance of Northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. We talk about so much before I hit the little red button and I just, so you're from Atlanta. Yes. I'm ITP, from Atlanta. ITP or OTP? I'm sorry, what does that mean? Inside the perimeter or outside the perimeter? Oh my God. That sounds like you've lived here before. Oh my God. I'm like, and I haven't even heard that terminology. I am ITP. Okay. All right. Does that make a difference to you? <laughs> well, it, it, it sort of, honestly, it kind of does. It kind of yeah. informs, it informs the conversation a little bit. Yeah. Um, because we were talking beforehand, you had been to Austin 
this past weekend and you had never been before. And that too, like if, if you've been to Texas, Dallas, Houston, Lubbock, Midland, Odessa, Rockwall, that's not, that's not Austin. Austin is so different from El Paso or San Antonio or any other major city. It kind of informs that conversation as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're a hundred percent right. What did you, um, what did you think? I loved it. Well, first of all, we went for a wedding and one of the events was at the Austin proper hotel. Okay. Which I have never been to any other properties. And that in itself was a treat. I mean, that made for me the whole trip because it was so, I've never been into a hotel like that. That's, that's unique. And also the food was really good, which is unusual for a hotel, <laughs> um, especially, you know, a big wedding party. Um, you know what? I found Austin to be extremely eclectic and it reminded me a lot of Asheville um, in certain ways because it's kind of, you've got a little bit of everything. You've got conservative, you've got bohemian, you've got, um, you know, the homeless population like you have in every city, but, you know, you don't necessarily expect to see that when you're there. And, you know, you hear about it, but you don't necessarily expect to see it. Um, it was beautiful. It has like an energetic downtown. I mean, there were lots of surprises I wasn't expecting. You know, you hear a lot about it and you hear a lot about towns, but it's not the same as when you go to and you visit. Yeah, it's true. Um, Austin is one of those cities. I, abs- I love Austin. Um, for a number of reasons, not the least of which Austin is one of those cities that feels like they've, they've really got a, a one foot firmly planted in their history. And when one in the future with an eye on the future, you know, trying to figure out what's next and to do so in a, in a responsible way you know, especially when it comes to architecture and design and city planning, because it's both a government city Mm and, you know, state capital, as well as a university city with UT. Um, And you just have all of these little bros. It reminds me of a, of a, of a small Los Angeles. Yes. Yes. Probably. I mean, I, I, it's been years since I've been out to LA, but I see exactly what you're saying. Yeah. And it's interesting. I mean, and because of that, I'm so I'm curious when you go to someplace like like Austin, especially for the first time. And I love that. I wish I could do Austin again for the first time. Um, does that how does that change the way you think about things? Do you find inspiration in that like we all do through travel? Do you does it give you does it give you new ideas, especially at a hotel like that? Would you come away with? Well, first of all, it's just. I mean. Every time you turn around, there's something really in Austin, period. First of all, where we stay, we're right by that whole river walk here. I don't know if it's called the river walk, but, you know, it's that beautiful. You're right on the water, like the lake, and you can walk that whole path. So first of all, just being, it was, and also we had incredible weather. So being outside at this time of year, that in itself is inspiration. I mean, it just makes you want to bring everything inside your house. Um, the Austin proper, that to me, and I would imagine all of their properties would be like this. It's everywhere you look, there's something. And what it really showed me is that to me, it's an extremely eclectic, diverse gathering of objects. And you can make so many things work if you just 
put it together with that exact, which it's so hard for me to verbalize this, but there was just so much that worked. And when you look at the items separately, you think there's no way that this is going to work, but they do. It works amazing. And just different and unusual things. And I find that about the whole city, even walking down the street, um, I can't remember the name of it, but it was that, maybe it's Congress Street, like towards the kind of honky-tonky area. I mean, Sixth Street. Was, yes, okay. That to me was so fun. I mean, inspiration, just the way the people dress. I mean, my gosh, yeah. you know, that, which is true of a lot of college towns, but that's so fun to me. And I mean, I'm real into fashion, so fashion relates to design. You know, it all kind of coordinates together in my head. Um, but you, everywhere you turn your head, there's something to see, especially when you get out of your own box. You know, everyone is a little more apt to see things differently when you're out of your box where you're seeing the same things every single day. You know, you look at things differently. It was it's so, so fun. It's so true. And it, you know what's really interesting about that to me is, um, so we 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 ran through this cycle of COVID, right? So COVID shuts everything down. Nobody's traveling. Nobody's going anywhere. Yeah. Then, you know, I mean, Katie, bar the door, they open the floodgates and everybody's going everywhere. And one of the things that I absolutely love, I love, um, I love design events. I was recently at KBiz, IBS, Surfaces Show, Las Vegas Market, all in one week. I mean, loved it. You get a very sanitized view of design. Every showroom is meticulously and impeccably yeah. merchandised and staged. Everything's clean. Everything's the way that they want it to be. Every party has, you know, it's, it's, you've got food and beverage and, and you're seeing your friends and it's, it's, a, it's an antiseptic way of, of seeing design. It's important for what it is. And that's why I love it as much as I do, because you want to see it in that environment. You don't want to see it grunged out and lived in. <laughs> you want to see it. You want to see it the way you specify it and the way it shows up, but traveling to cities is, is, and, you know, you may like European cities, you may like Asian cities, you may like American cities. I'm an American cities fan. I, I love American cities. And what's interesting to me is, you know, like you had mentioned your experience in Austin, you can have this, you know, down 6th Street where you've got the buskers and the clubs, very similar to a, a um, Nashville right? Where you've got a very uh, yes. sim similar vibe, but it's also yes. similar to LA. And now you can take, you can pull from these, from these influences and com and compose something, which is why going back to the original question, I ask ITP or OTP because Atlanta to me yes. is not just a world-class American design city. It is a world-class international design city, but you've got, you've got very, very different yeah. influences. ITP is 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 cosmopolitan and it's yeah. it's much more urban. OTP is suburban and and more sprawling and a, a bit yeah. a bit more southern. Yeah, 100%. There's a total I mean not to not to downgrade anybody or anything, but there's a different level of sophistication inside versus outside. Yeah. 100%. And you see that even in a hotel chain that, you know, a Marriott inside the city versus the Marriott outside the city by perimeter. The way just the decor alone is done, completely different. And here's why I find that important. I find that an interesting point of distinction 
because I've been talking about this now for going on three years. When the pandemic first started, <clears throat> excuse me, I started this series called Designing for Disaster, where I started talking to creatives like, oh my God, what are you doing? What are you doing? How are you handling this? <laughs> yeah. And what, what has sort of come to pass is that designers have come to realize, and I think it's remarkable for you, and I want your take on this. You don't have to be an Atlanta designer anymore. You can be a world designer, an international designer who's based in Atlanta, but you're working virtually, you're working remotely, you're specifying yeah. from international brands. Has that changed your practice? Um, you know what? I would say um, not necessarily. I think most of my work is more local. Um, you know, when I say that, I mean, I have a job like in Macon, I've had a job in Florida, but what has changed is that, and this is going to kind of go in a different direction, is that when the pandemic hit, the Instagram part of my business in terms of getting more jobs that way, because it was a way for people to really see virtually what I could do versus meeting me and not relying so much on social media. I feel like during the pandemic, the Instagram specifically for me changed the, uh, the way I did business and enabled me to do way more business. I mean, just exploded for me because um, they had another way of seeing me without and, and pursued that because they had the time and they didn't have a choice. Um, but, you know, I do have more where people outside the perimeter will call me, you know, more Atlanta, but my work tends to be more local than out of state. Not to say I wouldn't do it. It's just the way it's worked out. But it's your choice. A hundred percent. And you have that option now, whereas, yes. you know, prior to three years ago, we really didn't have that option. And I, and I right. think that it's, it's important because even if you choose not to expand out of Georgia, right. you still have the ability to pull in these influences. Not that you didn't before, but look, let's be honest. You're not going to go to a, a design show in Singapore and, and Maison and, and Salone every, and the London design show every year, you're not going to do that. Um, they're still going to happen. The world still turns. You're not going to go personally to every one of those shows, but because the tools for doing this has become so prevalent, it makes it easier for someone like you to research and, and specify. A hundred percent, even to the point that, for instance, I did have a uh, project in Chicago during the pandemic just being able to locate a Chicago receiver, you know, things like that. I even find the designers as a community, we came together more and we're more willing to share, um, you know, help each other out, not feel quite as competitive with each other. Because look, there is plenty of business for all of us. There's enough business for everyone to have, you know, the, especially now with the world, the way it's opened up. And so, specifying even like little details that are so important when you're in another city that might've been difficult to find in the past have become much easier. So tell me about the Atlanta, the state of design in Atlanta. Well, I think it's very sophisticated. Um, I think it, you know, look, we're not New York, but 
we can rival New York. I think we can rival anywhere. Um, we have everything is available here. Our, our design sources, ADAC, um, the Mart. I mean, we have so many great resources um, to specify furniture. Um, with the pandemic, everything, it, like you said, is virtual, so we can get everything. Um, I feel like there's a lot of prominent designers that are coming out of Atlanta. Um, Beth Webb, Suzanne Kassler, you know, big name people that are have put Atlanta on the map um, as a design destination location. I mean, when we have shows, you know, we get huge attendance that come in, you know, to all the March shows. Um, ADAC always plans events around those shows. They get huge attendance and following and big names that come and speak. And, um, you know, it's, it, I think it's unbelievable. And it's amazing you, when I think. Did you go to Atlanta market this year? I have not. No. Okay. So I, I went to Las Vegas market and I was absolutely stunned by the attendance. It well, was jammed. Well, I think too, I feel like every year since post pandemic, every event you go to the the further out it is, the more you're seeing people go. You know what I'm saying? People are getting over the fear. You know, they're not as worried as much about being in crowds. Um, and people are hungry. I think people have missed it, you know? And I know, like, I'm planning to go to High, uh, High Point in April. And I have I went, it's been about a year, and the the attendance was mediocre when I went about a year ago. I am sure it will be jammed because, too, you know, we're ready to see new product. And I feel like timelines are getting better. The last market I went to, they were showing all these new products, but yet they couldn't keep up with the old products. So our whole thoughts were, well, how are they going to get the new products done and out? They can't even manufacture the old ones yet in a timely manner. So I feel way more confident about that and that Furniture lines, everyone is starting to catch up a little bit in their timelines. And you're seeing not 100% back pre-pandemic, but it's getting there. We're getting better. Um, you know, things are not taking as long. So I feel more confident when I'm going to see new pieces that they're going to be able to produce them. And it's not going to be six months. <laughs> yeah, right. Furnishing, Furnishings aside, uh, it's stunning too that we're in this era now where the transformational acceleration of design technology technology in design it's it's just it's staggering what's happening right now um i feel like you know five or six years ago bathrooms had this moment right? Where everything became completely transformational in bathrooms where, you know, it was tile and it was, it was steam. It was wellness. It was making bathrooms spa-like. Then cut to pan, you know, post-pandemic, obviously the kitchen manufacturers, the appliance manufacturers were hard at work. They were not sitting back on their laurel. They were making stuff happen. So now you've got all this new stuff that's been rolled out and introduced which in turn has also like warming drawers, warming drawers in the bathroom now for towels, cooling drawers, cooling drawers in the bathroom now for makeup. And holy cow, 
as a designer, what does that do for you? How does that sort of, does that take the shackles off or, or does it become more prohibitive because clients are asking for everything? They don't, maybe some have the budget for it, maybe some don't have the budget or at least an understanding of what budget busting has come to be. Um, I think, honestly, most people have no clue of what it's really going to cost when they go into a renovation. I think it's, they are blown away. I think once they're educated, it's fine. And they can accept it because they, they get it and they realize if they want certain things, they're going to have to pay for it. Um, I think one of the problems, look, I love all these things. I think it makes life easier. But one thing that happens that people lose sight of is the more gadgets, you do lose space you know, for other things that you might need. So it becomes a game of really figuring out what do you really have to have? What is the luxury, you know, and what can you afford? So it becomes like three pockets that you have to balance to be able to get the ideal bathroom for that client. And one thing that's happened is when, you know, look, when you look in magazines, you look on Instagram, whatever, you know, they see these beautiful rooms that have everything. And it works maybe for that person or that showroom, you know, no one really knows the context of how that photo has been taken. So it's very deceiving for reality and for the way most people live, because most people cannot afford what's in the magazines. You know, when I say that, I'm talking about Lux, House Beautiful, um, Veranda. Now, Good Housekeeping, Southern Living, those are all the ones that can present to a more affordable. And I am a firm, firm believer of high and low mixing together. I mean, in my room behind me, I've got Target pillows mixed in with um, custom pillows. You know, if it works, no one knows. They just see it all together. And it's the same with, you know, you know, kitchens, you know. And the one thing about it that has been great is that all these lines that are not luxury lines, like not necessarily Wolf and, you know, Sub-Zero are coming out with products that can function and do well and look beautiful. So it's opened up the market, which is amazing, so that if you can't afford the Wolf, which a lot of people can, you can get something else that's going to look amazing and great and function for you. But I think, you know, part of my job as a designer, it's, I feel really strongly about this is that it's not only to make your place beautiful, but it's got to function. And what functions for your friend doesn't actually function for you. And it's bringing that together so that you can have a beautiful space, but it needs to be the right functional space for that family, individual, whatever. And I think it's a balancing act. And it's also, you know, not offending people, you know, making, not feeling, making them feel bad about what they want or that they can't afford, you know, it's a balancing act. I have often said, and I, and I believe this to be true. I, I really do. Um, you know, budget does not define design. No, it, it's, it's about desire and performative action and activity. And, and if you can, if you can match and pair your design to the performance of it, function and, you know, form and the yada, yada, we've been there before, right? We've heard that form follows function. Okay. Get it. It's a, it's a law at the same time though, 
form follows function doesn't define how somebody lives or what that function is is defined as. So what is your superpower? How do you, is that what it is defining how they live and then achieving that goal? Where's, where does your superpower lie? Um, you know what? I do feel like that because first of all, I, I came into this whole business as a second act. Okay. So my whole first act was a mom, a family, you know, all about everyone, but me. And I really learned how to operate as a family, how to communicate. Um, at the same time, I have all this experience of what I've gone through to know, yeah, yeah, that fabric and that, that refrigerator is amazing. But honestly, you're a young family. Why would you do that? You know, why would you do that? Why would you put all that money into that when you can have this that looks just as great and your kids are this young and they're just going to trash it? You know, I have a lot of that experience. I feel like that when someone hears it from me, they trust me. Um, I feel like that is so much value because you get so much value when you use me because I'm not, look, I love spending money, especially when it's not mine. Who doesn't? I mean, come on. I can make everything look amazing with lots of money, but a family, a young family doesn't want to spend that kind of money. They can't. They got, they're saving for college, but they can still have an amazing home. And I feel like I'm great at bringing that to the table. I love my clients that will spend everything and anything and don't, but I still am practical. I can't, that's just my being. That's who I am. I, I do think that that is a, that is a value set uh, that is incredibly, it's in, it's in demand. Not just now, but I think in general, look, I mean, you're a, you're a girl mom. I'm a boy and a girl dad. Uh, I got kids. I have one in college, one about to be. I understand, you know, the, the, for, it's so funny too, because at different phases in life, you know, when we were young, design of the home wasn't dad and a boy dad. So I got, I got both. I got destruction like you couldn't believe, but you know, as, as the kids move out, you know, the tastes have changed, desires have changed and that's, it's not unique. You know, I think that's, what's interesting. And that's one of the, when I talk about the superpower of designers, that's one of the things that I really value. And in an era of, you know, here comes the AI and here comes machine learning and here comes, and every designer I speak to is concerned about it. And rightfully so, because look, a couple of years ago, it was Laurel and Wolf and it was Home Polish and it was Mod Z who are selling design services. Those aren't design services. Those are decorator services. And there's a big difference. It's a shopping list, right? You, you mentioned the magazines. I still don't feel like the magazines really come out and support the design community the way that I think they could and the way they should. You know, I think it's brand first, designer second. And I get that um, because that's where the revenue is. But I've always felt that it should be the, the creative first. You know, if you tell me where I go astray here, right? Because design is an art form. I agree. But I don't know that everyone sees it like that. You know, I mean, I do and designers do, but um, it's interesting the way, you know, 
I think one thing that has happened, and I, I think part of it is the pandemic, that everything is so accessible and available that everyone thinks they can do it. And they can't. They can't. You know, I can't tell you how many friends of mine, and I think part of it is because it is a second act, you know, devalue what I do because, well, I can, you know, I can do that. You know, I just go look in the magazine, or, you know, I can go online and Google, you know, whatever, because everything is Googleable. Google, 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 Google. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying in that um, I do think, you know, it has been in a way devalued and that does affect what people are willing to pay for your services. You know, it, it comes across in lots of ways, you know, um, you know, one of the things I have is that in my contract, you know, I make sure that if I show them something, they have to buy it through me because if they're going to go find it cheaper on Google, you know, that's not the whole point of using me, you know, it's using me because I'm putting it all together and you're paying for that. So let me ask you something, um, because I'm, I'm big on international uh, uh, intellectual property. The same thing is what you're talking about. So you have a contract that says if, if someone, if you specify something or if you bring it to them, they have to purchase it through you. Putting it in, in writing is step one and very important, but enforceability of that seems very challenging. How do you enforce that? Well, you know what? It's interesting. Um, I have not... When when someone signs my agreement or contract, that is one of the line items I have in initial. So I'm hoping they really read it. You know, um, I have never had an issue, to my knowledge, of it happening. Now, if it's happening, it's after I'm out the door. Do you know what I'm saying? And I don't yeah. know. But you know, I have to be honest. So many of my clients are repeat, and I would notice. If I've, go, I've gone back and seen something, I do agree with you. It would be very difficult to enforce, but I do think making people aware makes them take it more seriously. They're not as apt to bring it up to me. Um, I have had clients say, you know, well, I found it, you know, at this price, will you match it? And I'm like, actually, no, because I'm, I, I'm bringing a lot more to the table than just that piece of furniture. So this is the price. And this is what it is. And I think yeah. you have to stand firm and be confident about it. You are listening to my conversation with Andy Morse. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. And then you get the client, but wait a minute, look, why don't we do this? I'll pay you a retainer and you just give me your discount. <clears throat> no. No, no. And you know what I found? You know what's interesting? And it's, it's interesting. I have found... I recently raised my retainer because I was having some issues, not that specifically, but little. And raising the retainer at thus far has done the trick with me for that. Because I think people realize it, it changed the level of what 
people's expectations were when I changed the level of the retainer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So, and, and one of the things that I absolutely love about you is you are very clear in what your mission statement is and how you want to go about doing that. I think, I think um, many young designers, and it's interesting, right? Cause you come out of design school, they don't teach you negotiation. They don't teach you mm-hmm. the psychology of it. They just don't, but you intern for someone and that's where you learn it. You know, hopefully if you've learned it correctly. So you have this, you know, some people just hang their own shingle and they learn everything the hard way. Some people go to design school and then they have to learn that piece of it the hard way. And then some go and just work for someone else, learn what they do and then go off, but it takes them longer. There's almost, there has to be like this perfect blend of go to school a little bit, intern a little bit. And then when you're ready, you know, you go off and do your thing. I think there's more of a, there's more of a formula to that. And I don't think we really explore that. No. And I think, I think that relates to so many industries. I think, you know, what they teach you in school is not necessarily really work, 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 workable. I mean, it's not necessarily what, I mean, I see what all all three of my girls are graduating out of college. You know, they're working in the real world. And honestly, so much of what they've learned has been on the job more so than in their college courses. And, you know, I think design school definitely gives you some basics of things that you really do need to know that I've had to play catch up with, okay, or I've had to source out to help me because, you know, hire people, hire other companies help because I don't have the skill set. But one of the biggest issues, I think, with everyone, no matter what you're doing, is to be confident and to really Exude that when you are talking to prospective clients and stand in your space, be proud. And you know what? If they don't like it, like I said, there's plenty of business. Someone else will be out there for you and they need to work with someone else. You know, I had a client not that long ago where we started and I was not feeling it. They were not feeling it. And we both came to the sources. You know what? I think we're both better if working with other people. And it was fine. It was on very good terms. I mean, it was not, you know, it happens. You can, sometimes you make mistakes. You misjudge. It's not you, it it's happens. me. <laughs> well, it really was them, not me. But I was going to, you know, I wanted to part <laughs> on very nice terms. Because you never it. know. I you know, they might, they may have a friend that it would work great for me. And yeah. I want to, you know, I don't want to burn any bridges. And they weren't mean and nasty people, so. Yeah. No, it just wasn't a, wasn't a fit. So with that, one of the things that I love to do is to sort of, we get a chance to talk about your, your philosophy, your, your personal style, your professional style and what you do. And then we get to go look at some some of your projects. And by the way, I have to say this every time, even though I've been doing this for 10 years, I still say it. Don't email me that I'm not showing you pictures and it's an audio podcast. Yes. I know it's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I also do some video for social, but here's how I like to do this. And I have found if you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't done this before, just do it once. Cause you'll be, you'll be hooked. It's really fun. So in the show notes, there is a link to Andy's website, go to the, uh, go to the portfolio tab and come look at the projects with us as Andy describes 
her projects and what she went with and why she went with it and what she specified. Cause I love that process because you get to tell us about what you do and how you do it. And then we actually get to see it. And I just think that that's so fun. It's fun for me. I hope it's fun for you. Yeah. Everyone else. Yeah. Um, that sounds great. I actually wanted to start with West Pace's fairy project. And I wanted to start with it for one reason. Um, instead of going to start with one of the other projects. And that is because the longer I do this, the more pet peeves I come up with and start affecting me. And one of the things that is just, it happens every December and January is the lists that come out. The top 10 trending lists, the top 10 don't do lists, the top five things that you're never gonna see anymore. And the one thing, that is always without fail on both lists is the white kitchen. White kitchens yeah. are in, white kitchens are out. Same year, you know, and, and I think that's why, um, you know, and I don't mean to rail on the magazines. I just wish they would put a little bit more intellectual effort into these conversations because a white kitchen will always be popular. And there are people who will always hate the white kitchen and never want it for themselves. You'll have both. They, they can live together harmoniously, right? And this is a very, very white kitchen. And I absolutely love it. And so I was hoping that you'd take me through it. And what I want to start with is your, I want to start with your attitude about this, because here's what I find so interesting. There is some have a fear of color in design. Most don't most just totally absorb it. Um, but in design, I have found that many have an absolute fear of white and you don't tell me about that. No. Well, I love white. I mean, white is clean, crisp, fresh. And like you said, I feel never is dated. Ever. And one thing I take into consideration a lot when I'm doing a renovation project is resale for homes. Um, especially if it's like a mid middle aged couple, older couple, just because if they end up wanting to move and downsize or whatever, it's something I keep in mind. And with that being said, I feel like classic design is very important. White is classic, always. You can Add color, you can do all kinds of things in other ways if that's what you want. But keeping the bones, which is a kitchen and bathroom, um, classic designed is never going anywhere. It'll always be popular. Or you can tweak it here and there if you have to. And for this particular family, this was actually a downsize. But this family has very classic taste. And that's one of the things that's very important to me is that a home reflects the person. This is, happens to be a friend on top of a client, um, and her taste is classic. So white was the very first thought that even entered my mind, and she was in agreement about it, that that's what her kitchen needed to be. It's also a smaller space. So white makes everything feel sometimes a little grander. You know, especially you don't, there's nothing claustrophobic about it at all. 
tell me about the countertop and backsplash. It's funny because I want to say, oh, is that marble? But nowadays with the with the product that is available, you just can't tell anymore. No, that is marble. Okay. That happens to be marble. And, um, you know, we mitered the edges so that you got a thicker looking backsplash. And I, I love the clean lines of the marble or whatever stone it is going up the wall. I think it's beautiful. And especially because this kitchen is smaller and made it more fluid and less choppy and just kind of made it all come together by having it on that back wall as well as on the counters. Because it's the same stone everywhere. And it's funny because one of the things I was I was looking for, I was trying, it's a game, right? Because with some of these man-made materials, you really can't tell if it's I can. Well, <laughs> let me <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, no, that's fair. But I know what um, you're saying. But you know what I was looking for? I was looking for the seams. And I was, and I can't. I can't from these images. I can't find them. So no. that tells, but that tells me that it's either one piece, which would be incredibly difficult and challenging to do, or you have a really good relationship with your trades. Well, I do have a really good relationship with my trades. That's number one. Um, number two is the the actual backside that you're seeing on the range wall is one piece. It's the you know it's the counter. The counter, you can't see it and you wouldn't be able to see it in photographs, but there is a seam on that back wall counter. But that's really the only place there's a seam because the other runs were short enough that we could do one piece. And you know what? It makes a big difference in a small kitchen. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, and you have two options, right? You go that way or you book match it, which gives it another kind of right. little, uh, kind of a unique look in right. this environment. But if you did that, you would still see the seam the moment, right. you, you know, every time right. you're cooking and you don't, right. don't want to see that. Right. Right. I love this. And I love this kitchen. So here's thank what else you. you. That makes me feel so good to hear you say that. I here's love what else that. You, here's what else you did. Not just including the dog in the picture, which is also white, which is just like, it kind of adds to the whole motif, but the amount of storage in this, and you could tell it's it's not a it's not a large space, which is one of the things that I love too, because I I feel like you know when it comes to large spaces and big budgets, you can do any anyone can make a large space with a big budget look amazing. Fair, hundred percent. But when you have a small space and you're challenged, that's where the I talk about designer superpowers all the time. That's where they really start coming through. The level of of sophistication in this space combined with the amount of storage is just amazing oh the storage i mean well look no kitchen ever has enough storage i feel like sometimes you know what i'm saying i really feel like you could just go crazy um and so many times people in fact i just have gotten over this i'm just finished up another renovation where we were so worried about when we changed the kitchen, she was going to lose storage. And we worked out every detail of it. And at the end of the day, no matter how much we worked it out, when it came to the reality, there was so much more than we even expected because the deepness of the shelves, the way you can store things in drawers now, you know, drawers are a big 
a, a great way of storage that have come into being more recently than cabinets. And there's it's so much more accessible to use drawers now. It's so much easier. And to me, you almost get more in a drawer than you do in a cabinet. And when you're able to combine all those elements in different ways, you get a ton of storage. A ton. What's interesting to me too is the manner in which you did this. You know, there's a, there's a space for everything and everything's in its space. And the inside of the cabinetry is not white, which I absolutely love that you did that. But, you know, you've got your coffee, you've got your microwave, you've got a pantry, you've got everything in its place. You you worked a TV into it. And I love that you didn't try to hide the TV because you know what? Everybody wants that now. Sure, you could take your iPad and put it on the counter, but then you're putting something else on the counter. This way, you know that everybody wants to, at some point in time, whether it's Super Bowl Sunday or right. something else, they're going to want to watch TV in the kitchen. You don't have to hide it. But what right. you also did, which is just fascinating, I really enjoy this is the floor is not white. The floor is, it's almost like you reversed the space. So the floor is dark, but the, which has total other useful purposes, especially if you have a dog and floor to ceiling. So you, the molding is, is white. The ceiling is white. You, you were not afraid to make this space as clean and consistent as you possibly could. And I just, I love the way it looks and feels. Thank you. That's great. I mean, it's great to hear. One of the things I think too, is that I am a pretty, very organized person. That's my personality. And to me, the kitchen feels organized, like just looking at it. Like, even if you kept that everything closed, there's something about it that makes, and that for me brings peace and soothing. And I think at the end of the day, for no matter what I'm doing, whether it's a kitchen renovation, it's a furnishing, that's what I want. I want the space to be soothing and comforting to my client. And if I feel that way, I feel most likely they will feel that way. And that's really how that came to be. You know, it's funny too, is... <laughs> As someone who, my son is out in college, my daughter's about to be. When you said it's a downsizing, I'm like, oh, I, I, I am picking up what they're putting down. Let's just make, but everything is so utterly clean. When the grandkids come, they're going to have to move. <laughs> they actually have storage in another room where they keep all the grandkids stuff. It's actually in that space, in that a space adjoining where they have, it's a sofa that pulls into a bed. I mean, it's, they've got, I mean, they really got, we figured it out. So grandkids, the scheme of things. Okay. It's probably just not as white looking when they're there. They got some food glops here and, you know, toys over here, but no, nobody's, get, nobody's getting the 64 count Crayola crayon box for Christmas right. in that house. And we're not taking pictures of it. That's for sure. <laughs> You know, if we move over to the Enclave Circle project, one of the things that you did here is there is a home office that, look, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that this is for a woman. This is a very, 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 is it yours? It's an incredibly no. feminine space. No, and it's not it, mine. And it's not just the pink. Um, 
it's just the manner in which it's accessorized. And uh, I love the color. That fabric on the chairs tied in with with the artwork. Tell me about this office. Um, Okay, so this is for a client that um, that office is actually when you walk in their home, it's the first door on the left. It's like, you know, it could have been like a small living room. She, the wife really wanted a functional office for herself, somewhere where she could go close doors. We actually had doors installed. Those doors were not part of the um, original house, Um, but she wanted something pretty so that when people walked in, because it was one of the first rooms on the left, they would see it. Um, So one of the, her must-haves was she wanted her desk to face the door. She did not want her back to the door. And those chairs are actually her grandmother's chairs that we had completely redone. So, you know, that being said, I found that pink fabric and I said, what if we went pink? Why not? I mean, she's not afraid of color. The rest of her house is pretty neutral. I'm like, if you're going to do it, this is the place to do it. And it's unexpected. People might not expect that. So why not? And it's not overwhelming. So with that being said, we knew we wanted a piece of art. Um, We happened just to be looking at artists and saw that art. And I was like, oh, my God, that would work just perfectly. It was just kind of the coincidence of seeing it. It wasn't that I was looking for pink art, but it happened that we found it and it was the perfect type of picture for that space. Are you talking about the one behind the desk or the one off to the side? No, the one off to the side. Now the one behind the desk is an old um, print that she had that we had reframed. And once we knew we were going with the pink chairs, I had it matted. It's actually like a red hot pink. Okay. But I I love red and pink together. Love it. I think it's fabulous. So I had it rematted. So it went better with, and and more feminine. It was kind of like in a dark Brown frame that was very kind of Danish or mannish. So we femmed it up. We made it much more feminine. Tell me about your personal approach to accessorizing. This is one of the things that I'm just, I'm fascinated. I think that every client should ask their designer about their philosophy of accessorizing because it's amazing how different everyone can be. And so I'm curious because as I look at this project in particular and and hearing you tell the story of the grandmother's chairs and the painting and, you know, I'm seeing the, the, the clustering of the natural wood. You know, there's a couple of vessels, two vessels in a bowl. You know, I'm curious, are those, are those local? Where those come from? You've got the hydrangeas that there are multiple pictures of the hydrangeas. So I'm wondering, are these like on property hydrangeas or what is it? Other things. It's like the, I can't tell if it's a stool or a poof, but you know, having having a little blanket laid over it, the way you style your beds. So you style your beds untucked. I've talked to some designers who ev- every image you look in, they're, I mean, they're military grade tucking on, on this and how they tuck the corners. And some will tuck the corners hard and then you could bounce a quarter off that thing and then lay a, a blanket over the top. 
everyone's got a different vibe. What's, what is, and I think that designers all have different styles, which they're supposed to because their style doesn't matter. It's their client style that does, but accessorizing and setting seem to be one of those things that designers kind of insist on being their own style. Yes. Yes. I mean, I, I like putting my, my take on everything. One of the things though I do for all of my clients, when it comes to accessorizing, I want to know if they have things in their house, they really love or want to use because I want to try to use them. Um, because I think it really tells a story of a person. And especially in this particular instance, all of those that blue and white you see on those shelves, those are from her mom. Her mom had a huge blue and white collection. They downsized. So I went with my client and we picked out what we wanted. Um, so that, that has meaning in itself. And it's like, it's such a good feeling to walk in a space and see something not for me as much as for the client that has so much family history. Um, in terms of other things, yeah, I think, you know, the, the, the finishing touch is style. You know, the flowers, I happen to love hydrangeas. Nothing more than that. I feel like it's a great flower. It's a, anyone can work with a hydrangea. You do not have to be a florist. And anyone can go into it. And that's really important to me too. This is something that she can go out and do herself. I've shown her, you know, get some hydra. Every grocery store carries them. I mean, it's funny. I just made a post on Instagram specifically about this. How hydrangeas are my favorite flower because they're so easy to work with and anyone can do it. You don't have to be a florist. Um, I think that's so important to, in, to enable people to feel confident about doing stuff themselves once they see me do it. Um, you know, a lot of times, for instance, this particular client, we just finished the kitchen renovation. Part of that is some styling of shelves. She didn't want anything that she already had. She felt like she used it. She wanted it all fresh. So I went out and you know, shopped it all. And I did it so it coordinated very well with the kitchen because it's right off the kitchen. We just renovated the kitchen. So it's a completely different look than what you're seeing in here. It's all white and brown. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't like sleeping in beds that are so tight. Like I, that like bothers me. So I'm not going to style my beds that way. Do you know what I'm saying? I hate to say it, so much of what I do relates to who I am as a person and my personality. And I think that's why you hire a designer. That's part of it is your initial connection to them. Not just about, yeah, you call them because it looks great. But if you can't connect with them, you're not going to work with them. The last thing I just wanted to touch on this particular topic and for our little showcase is the Inman Park project. And I don't even want to talk about the space. It's lovely. You did a wonderful job. It's beautiful. But the, the, I just have one question for you. At the end of your photo array, you've got all these colorful pictures of the project. The last image is a gentleman with his dog in black and white. What I find so striking about that is that has absolutely nothing to do with the design. It's all about the feel. That's what you're going for. That's the experience. That's the emotion. That is what 
design is supposed to do. It's not just supposed to be pretty. It's not just supposed to perform, but it's supposed to make you feel. Who is that? Why did you include that? And I, I just, why, why did you include that? That's just amazing to me. Um, well, first of all, he was the client. Okay. It was a couple and I really did all the work with him and I adore him. He is fantastic. He was, he was a pleasure. Um, he was fun. He was funny. And it was such a happy memory for me that I wanted everyone else to be able to experience that. Um, I don't get that with all clients, you know, and not all clients are willing to even want their picture. Of course I have, to, you know, I get their permission and all of that, but also I feel like the picture really summed up who he was with the dog. I mean, it, it, it really, he is a nice gentleman, kind, easy to work with. I mean, he made it such a, the whole experience was wonderful. And I just loved it and I felt like I wanted him to be a part of it. Like I wanted him to be on there. Nothing more than that. I mean, not too deep thought about it. I just, it was such no, a positive no. experience. Yeah, but what strikes me about that is truly at, at the end of the day, what you do, what we do in the industry, what we do in the business, you know, you're a designer, I'm a journalist. I, I just cover the stories. I don't, I don't create them, I just cover them. Um, but what it all comes down to is that it's the emotion, it's the feeling, it's the experience. You know, design is is even fine art. You know, fine art was not made to to grace the pages of a magazine. It was made so that someone could sit there and it would make them feel something. That's what that's what amazing design and architecture does, right? It makes you feel something. It makes you emotionally engaged with your surroundings. It it brings you to another place. It brings you to your happy place. And like, I want to feel that way. Like I'm sitting here in my office with my dog. And that just makes me, that makes me happy. It makes me happy for him because I know how he's feeling. And as a designer, that has to give you some satisfaction because that's really where, yes, you get paid, you get paid handsomely to do what you do, but ultimately it's about what you do for others. And I think that's often forgotten. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's all I care about. In other words, yeah, it's great for me to be able to get pictures taken, but you know what? Most of my work, I don't take pictures of. Because it's it's not to me. I don't want to say worthy. That's not the right word. But it's just it, they. It wouldn't be appropriate, maybe, or just wouldn't look as the way I want it. But if my client is happy and feels good, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter that I don't get pictures out of it. That's not the priority. You know, I want my clients to feel like they had a great experience from start to end. But most importantly, when I'm gone, they're happy without me, that their space speaks to them and relates to them and, you know, functions the way they need it to. That's what matters. Amazing. Andy, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I hope you did too. Thank you so I much did. for taking the time. Thank you. Thank, thank you for taking the time to talk to me. We are living in a time of incredible growth both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. 
There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic. A history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living, their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Andy. Loved our chat and truly appreciate the time. Thank you to Convo by Design Partners and Sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware. You make this show possible, and I truly appreciate you. And speaking of appreciation, thank you for listening, subscribing, and downloading to the show. With, without you, I mean, seriously, what's the point? Please keep sharing this little podcast, entering our 11th year with some truly fun things in store over the coming weeks and months. I mean, seriously, doing this show for 11 years, uh, it's because of you, and you guys make this fun. The emails I get with show suggestions, guest suggestions, guest submissions, project submissions, I absolutely love it. Keep them coming. Convo by Design at Outlook.com and at Convo by Design with an X on Instagram. Thanks for listening. Until next week, be well and take today first.